You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians, brought to you by the Locker Room app. Currently only on iOS, but it's a great chance to get together and chat. I'm going to be on there Friday evening during the game or Saturday during the game. Follow me on Twitter at Draft to find out when and to have that opportunity to talk both. Uh, you know, you can type, we can chat, and we can talk. It's a fun app. I've had fun using it so far. That is Locker Room. So let's talk about the game. Uh, you know, I'm kind of laughing at the start because, man, after that performance yesterday, it was easy to get, go negative, right? It was really easy to go that way. And a day later, uh, it's a 2-2 split. Like, big picture here, 2-2 split in that se- in this series is something I think everyone would have taken at the start of it. I will say I had a bit of a thought in mind with it that I had been so bad at predicting this series that I was just going to intentionally not pick the Indians in the last game. Uh, even though if you listen to like the Monday show, I kind of thought they had a really good opportunity and I almost favored them in this one because I had some concerns about Lance Lynn. Whatever. I decided to go with, I'm going to try and reverse jinx this and it worked. If you were like me and were working as this entire game was occurring, uh, final score, four hits for the four runs for the Indians on eight hits and an error, two runs for the White Sox on eight hits and two errors. Savali with his third win, Lynn falls to one and one, and Emmanuel Classe gets saved number three with a setup by Karen Chalk. Uh, the error came from Jimenez, the two errors both on Abregu at first base, Adam Eaton got hit by a pitch, and how can I phrase this? It's junk. Uh, if you watch, he's just standing there. He makes no attempt to move out of the way. If anything, he leans into the pitch. Yes, the ball is it is a ball. But earlier in the week, uh, for a guy who complained about Roberto Perez uh, getting hit by a pitch or Josh Naylor trying to leg one out, he uh, this is a guy who leaned into one hit by a pitch, didn't get out of the way. And the first one earlier in the week was in the strike zone. Like He leaned into the strike zone to get, to get hit, which should be a strike like you can't just throw your body in front of the strike zone and get hit and then the one in the game where it's very clear he did not admit you have to make an attempt to move out of the way is how I always interpreted it and you cannot move into the pitch he's moving into the pitch to get hit uh, on top of his ridiculously chippy play in the first where he should have been thrown out of the game like with everything else that was going on with some of the way that uh, tempers were flaring on sides after you know, some anger. Uh, the White Sox got very angry about the perfect game and no-hitter breakup attempts, which is you're supposed to roll over and not try and win. Like, to me, that's always terrible. That's a horrible take. Uh, I am, if I, no matter what I play, it's like I'm never rolling over and just accepting a loss. Like, players should always play to win. Uh, it's just a bad take. And then to come out in the first, and I, he could have hurt uh, Jimenez like the way he grabbed his leg and was like almost pulling him backwards at first uh, he should have been kicked out of the game like there's no way that he should have continued on and <laughs> let's just say we have a public enemy number one if you're an Indians fan uh, Adam Eaton came off like a real uh, 
real piece of work in this series. And between the hit by pitches, what occurred with him in the first, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I, I, I had some anger in this one directed his way, but the best revenge is winning. And with that win, the Indians are seven and five, the White Sox six and seven. Uh, Ben Gamble, the, uh, production watch continues. He replaced Mod Rosario did not have a great day in center, having him bat lead off. I guess you're just trying to get him at bats. So I'm kind of okay with it to that degree, but it's still not ideal. You know, I made a whole big deal about how terrible Cesar Hernandez has been, and he joins the twice on base club in this one. Who else reached on base twice? Uh, you had Eddie Rosario and Jake Bowers, who I also was commenting about his uh, terribleness as well as Andre Jimenez. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Jimenez was only once on base. So you had Rosario, you had Cesar Hernandez, and you had Jake Bowers. Only one walk in this one. That was to Eddie Rosario. It is interesting that uh, we had three, We the Indians had three stolen bases, two by Rosario, one by Jose Ramirez. Uh, they must have, with Kopech in particular, but to a lesser degree, Lynn, they must have just, uh, they, Grandel is a great catcher, so they were stealing on the pitcher. The, the Kopech must be just awful at keeping the runners on, and the Indians were able to take advantage of that to get that insurance run. They touched up Crochet, who they had uh, got some runs on earlier in the series. And I mean, it was a good start by Lynn. Six innings, two earned runs, five hits, zero walks, 10 strikeouts. He just happened to give up the home run. Uh, for I was just kind of curious. Only 93 pitches over six. Uh, Savali, though, six innings, five hits, same amount of hits, two walks, only four strikeouts, only the one earned run and no home run. Uh, nice to see Whitgren come out and have a hold after two rough performances in a row. Karen Chalk, Classe, shut that door, though Classe does give up an unearned run in the ninth and make it a little bit closer, but he still picks up save number three in that situation. Uh, you know, the, the unearned run coming because Tim Anderson reached on the fielding error and Robert scored due to that. So three stars in this one. Uh, Jose Ramirez with the two-run shot has to be up there. I think you have to go with uh, Aaron Savali for his starting performance. So it really comes down to, do you give it to Bowers? Do you give it to Rosario? Um, Bowers had the extra base hit, as did Jimenez. And Bowers had two hits in this one. But I think at the end of the day, if I'm giving it to someone, you know, and you had the three relievers all pitching close to the same level, uh, Jimenez's error knocks him out of the competition. So that's why it comes down to Bowers or Eddie Rosario. And I think I'll give it to Bowers. Uh, you know, he needs a win, let's be honest. And his total bases were the the highest uh, of anyone not named Jose Ramirez because Rosario just, he had the, did have a pair of stolen bases, but it was a single and a walk, whereas there was that extra base hit for Bauer. So we'll make him the third star. I don't know how many opportunities he's going to get, but uh, after my extreme negativity on him and Cesar Hernandez yesterday, it was funny to see both of them get get a pair of hits. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk on this podcast included about uh, how terrible the offense has been. And we'll like talk about some of the reasons why there's more to this story than meets the eye just in a second here. I always like it when we have a new sponsor and we have one today. 
This episode is brought to you by 10 by, by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs at fair price points. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Rings sure to bring joy into her life. Using only diamonds, responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 female design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful ring, ideal for engagement, Mother's Day, or simply a beautiful conversation piece. They're the perfect way to uh, to bring light into her life. They're available now through Mother's Day only on BlueNile.com. Just search the words 10 by 10 This collection features high-quality fine jewelry that will surprise and delight and fairly priced so that you can give her something special and truly meaningful. If you're in the hunt for the perfect, unique ring she'll treasure forever, you're definitely going to want to check this out. They won't be around for long, so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at BlueNile.com. And remember to check out the Locked On Today podcast with host Peter Bukowski. All the news you need today. Go check out Locked On Now. So, uh, Zach Meisel had a tweet after last night's game. The Indians own a slash line of 195, 277, 369. Batting average ranks 29th out of 30 teams. On base ranks 28th, slugging 22nd. Uh, Mitchell Crawl, uh, at ML Crawl, K-R-A-L-L, who... Uh, Writes at uh, waiting for next year, but pointed this out: their fourth in peril rate, 29th in bat pip, and with the second largest difference between their uh, weighted on base average and their expected weighted on base average via Statcast. Now, if you don't know what any of that means, it basically means they've been really unlucky. The low bat pip, that big rate difference, they're barreling hitting the ball hard. They're they've been unlucky. Yes, there has there's some. Ways one could argue that uh, some of that data gets pumped up a little bit by the relative weakness of uh, teams they faced in the early going. But at the same time, when you go over and you look at the data in terms of players who have played enough to qualify, Franmil Reyes and Jordan Luplo uh, both are in the red top 10% for barrel percentage, uh, Franmil in the top 10 for exit velocity. Roberto Perez is expected weighted on base and uh, his other expected weighted on base uh, con are in the top six and nine percent. So Roberto Perez, as I've talked about many times in the show, offensively quite strong in the early going. Jose Ramirez doesn't really qualify in anything right now, uh, and Cesar Hernandez is in the bottom eight in the weighted on base average. So he is struggling. Worst hitter on the team though right now in terms of guys playing just about every day has been Ahmed Rosario with a Bottom 10% in expected batting, bottom 4% in expected slugging, bottom 6% in expected weighted on base average. He is struggling something mighty, mighty. Uh, and that's one of those things I understand wanting to get him at bats, but you're putting him in the leadoff spot. <laughs> it's the same thing when they put Gamble out there. It's like happy they didn't play Gamble today. But I mean, you're handicapping yourself. Like there's no other way around it when you're doing that. And that your number two hitter, like when you look at advanced um, beliefs and thoughts, your best hitter should hit two. That's where you should put the top hitter in the lineup. Uh, back when there was that time where the Indians had uh, Carlos Santana in the one spot, you know, a lot of stuff came up talking about how that was a good idea and all the things that went to it. But the bigger thing is like put your best hitter two. The Indians are right now leading off with their uh, when they put Rosario at one and Hernandez two. They're having 
their two worst everyday players, one, two in their lineup. It, it just puts you behind. And even if we went and we looked at the game today, I know Hernandez had a good game today, but you're still starting off, you know, the game more often than not negatively. You know, it's just go to the first inning in this, pull it open, strike out, ground out, line out. I, again, Hernandez would go on to have two singles, but right now those two guys are not who you want up there. They're just not performing, and it's a net negative to the team, especially because when you just look at how they construct the lineup, Fran Mill is your best hitter, but he's hitting you know, further down, and Rosario has been arguably their second best hitter this year, and you, know, you got one at four and one at five, and it's just not the best way. You want your best hitters to get more at-bats, and right now, the one spot when they are facing, you know, a righty is a disaster. When they're facing a lefty, they're good. But when they're facing, you know, it, unfortunately, you face more righties than lefties. And that's the situation where the Indians are right now, where it's a, like the other interesting thing is if you go and you look at like some of the leaderboards, like team positioning. Again, so they're using outdated thoughts and practices for lineup construction talk about something simple like the shift so the athletics dodgers mets tigers pirates astros top six teams in terms of total shifts and the percentage of times they shift we're the indians 28th in baseball at 17.7 percent whereas the dodgers who won the world series last year 60.4 like that is a massive massive difference and yes maybe you say well it could be based on who they play to a degree, but in the early going to have a 40% differential, it just shows what teams are using more advanced thoughts. And, you know, the Tigers are up there with A.J. Hinch, who, with the Astros, uh, when the Indians got knocked out of the postseason, and you had guys like Clevenger and Bauer talking about uh, teams with more advanced thinking. When Bauer left Cleveland, he made his statements. And I'm not a big Bauer guy, but I also get where he's like, oh, they're not always the most forward thinking. The problem is they have a front office that is a front office that's always been at the bleeding edge and a coaching staff that is very much stuck in the last decade of thought and you're seeing that a in lineup construction b in defensive deployment and we'll see what happens but i you know i was definitely not an alomar fan a year ago tito has had great moments as a manager uh his you know, he's out. The best he ever did was a postseason run to the World Series, where he went out of the box and he did things that we haven't really seen him do since. Where he was uh, using some advanced thoughts and some different things, and it was like he broke the seal and then went right back to uh, managerial and coaching practices from the early two thousands. And again, you just look at these teams. The you know the stronger teams in baseball use these thoughts. The Athletics, the Dodgers. We'll see what happens with the Mets over the course of the year. The Tigers, yeah, they're not a strong team, but they have a new manager. The Pirates, again, they're using very advanced thoughts in their development. The Astros, Marlins, Twins, Yankees, Cubs. I mean, the Indians are down here with the Braves, the White Sox, the Rockies, and the Phillies. And that shouldn't be a surprise with those groups either because a lot of old-school thought going on with coaching staffs there. So, you know, I, I just, it's always going to be my wish that they, that they fully embrace new thoughts and ideas that they 
think about using openers from time to time, that they maximize the value in their lineup instead of thinking, oh, power hitter hits four and five, speed slash center fielder hits one. Like it's our best hitter has to hit three. It's no, <laughs> that's the same thought process as like, you know, uh, average matters more than on base and things like that that we know aren't true anymore. Uh, it's it's outdated thoughts and practices. And at the end of the day, with this Indians team, for me, I, I appreciate what Tito has done and his time here. But when you get a guy who, when you are the Cleveland Indians and you cannot sign veterans and you cannot keep veterans and you have to keep a cycle of youth coming up, you have a manager who doesn't like to play young players, doesn't seem to connect well with young players. And uh, due to that, one of the best young players they've had of the last decade uh, in Yandy Diaz was like, go for nothing. Now, is he as good as like a J Ram or a Lindor? No, but uh, he was never given an opportunity. It just never occurred. Uh, and yeah, he's had his issues since he's left with health and, and the like, but would he be an improvement over a lot of what they've sent out there since then at like first or outfield? Absolutely. A hundred percent. So you have a manager who, again, you can't sign vets. You can't afford to keep the players as they uh, get more expensive in arbitration even. You have to rely on young players. And you currently have a manager who doesn't want to play young players and is adverse to new ways of thinking. It's a very odd situation when you look at the front office, which again is at the cutting edge of everything. And, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see how this goes. I, I Part of me wonders if this is kind of the last hurrah with Tito's health, but he's a very odd fit. It, at the beginning, he was, and he gave them, he was a name and he gave some credibility and they went on a great run and you can't, I mean, he's, he's been the steward for the second best. Okay. Let's say third best run, maybe fourth best run in franchise history. You got to count the two where they won the world series. Those have to be your top two. So it's question is, is this better in the nineties or not? We can debate that as the nineties teams got as close to winning. Uh, but at least they got there twice for so this team has only made it once and the overall postseason uh, has been more about getting knocked out in the first round than anything else. But still, he's been the manager. He's been the guiding force during those times. You have to give the credit. But I do wonder, again, it's an odd marriage of old school thought managing a team with a bunch of forward-thinking, advanced-minded, uh, developmental drafting and scouting types. Do I have to say I love Built Bar? I think everyone knows that by now. Uh, I did not have Built Bar today. I will admit that. Uh, it's a rare occurrence where I did not have that as a breakfast or lunch. I did a, a protein powder, powder, and then I had some uh, leftover chicken that I did for lunch. Most days, though, that is my go-to. Like I, I, I do a protein powder every morning, and then I have Built Bar for lunch, and it's filling, and it's delicious, and I love it. And you should go check out Built Bar for yourself, remember when you go to builtbar.com, you want to use that promo code locked on 15. That gives you 15% off. That's as much as they give returning customers. It's a really good deal. It is the code I use when I go and I purchase from them. And I purchase from them every few months. I got to restock, re up. I get really bored with things. My wife is always warning me to like not buy too much of something because she knows I'm going to get bored and not finish it. Year over a year later, I'm still eating Built Bar, still happy with it, not having any problems. That's how good this product is. 
Remember to go to BuiltBar.com, use that promo code LOCKEDON15. It's just a fantastic product. Let's go over and check out the uh, bet online line for tomorrow's game. See what the Indian situation is, if they are favored or not favored in their Friday matchup. Going over here, Logan Allen on the mound, uh, Jeff Hoffman pitching for the Reds. Uh, the Reds are favored in this one. Uh, the Indians are getting a run and a half, nine on the over-under. Uh, they are really not respecting Logan Allen. So if you are someone who has money in the bet online system or if you're someone who has not and wants to do who plans to do it, you can go over to betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. That's right, 5050. And this might be the game to uh, to go uh, take that run and a half on. Logan Allen has looked really good in the early going. The Reds projected lineup. I mean, every single day they have four lefties in that lineup. Jess Winkler, Joey Votto, Mike Moustakis, and Tucker Barnhart. Uh, Tyler Naquin, who's been incredibly uh, productive for them in the earlier going, is another lefty. So it, he may not even play. I mean, the Indians always benched him against lefties. So this actually seems like a good matchup. A lefty versus the Reds. Uh, a lefty who's pitching well but has a short uh, amount of time to be proven yet. Getting a run and a half. Remember, go over to betonline.ag, promo code locked on, get 50% bonus. And uh, this is the this is the first time I am tempted to like uh, go and make a mark on one of these games. It seems like that is a really good matchup. So go check that out for yourself. And also a reminder, go check out the Locked On Fantasy Baseball podcast. If you're into fantasy, why are you not listening already? Locked On Fantasy Baseball. So... There's the so letting you know bat. We are back from break. The Indians, uh, it's a 10th round's pitiful. There's no other way to put it. They, you know, since 1965, they have drafted 55 players. Eight have made it to the majors. The highest one, Pete Redfern, was drafted in 72. He did not sign, and he pitched in uh, 170 games, a 1.5 career war. Uh, in terms of guys for the Indians who have played in a bunch of games, Tyler Holt, who's also far and away the most expensive signing in this round. Uh, Fernando Cabrera, who he was supposed to be their next big thing at closer, 132 games. And then uh, Dennis Kinney, who was from 1970, who had about 97 games. If you wanted to be the most productive player the Indians have signed, you need a war of 0.2 to get there. That's all it takes, 0.2. That's how low the bar is. The Indians' total war in the 10th round is negative. Uh, they'd be better off not having drafted anyone in the 10th round. Now, in fairness, this is often their senior sign round, especially the past few years. You know, Zach Hart in 2019, Billy Strode in 2015, Josh Martin in 2012 all got $5,000 bonuses. That's not much. Steve Patterson got 10000 in 2014. Josh Martin uh, pitched well enough and got through the minors. I thought he was going to make it to the big leagues. He was a Rule 5 pick of the Padres. I was kind of hoping he'd stick because I always want to root for those guys, especially someone who got, you know, that's that's almost no money. 5K, that's such a small amount. And he's now in the Phillies system, and they have uh, a terrible bullpen, so I'm going to wish him no. Now he is currently in independent baseball. He was with the Phillies in 2019, uh, and they have an awful pen. But his walk rate uh, kind of imploded that year. Uh, sometimes guys try too much, especially as you're getting into your late 20s, and it just hasn't happened for him yet. 
But uh, Martin was a guy who definitely overperformed. I like Jeff Johnson as well, who was drafted about that same time. But I mentioned Tyler Holt. $500,000 signing bonus back in 2010. It was a big deal. A lot of people thought that he was uh, unsignable. The Indians pulled some money out and were able to get him signed. He was a borderline top 10 prospect for a while. Just couldn't hit. (laughs) Wasn't a great defender. He, He was just like a grade below average in everything. Uh, I didn't realize that the bigger surprising was that Paulo Espino was number two and that he was an IMG Academy kid. He was one of those guys who was just the, the leftover arm for so long in the minors where he was just the good soldier working his way up through the system. There were some times where they thought that maybe he'd have a future as a reliever. That didn't happen. But if you look at Holt and then you look at the players taking two, three, four, and five, uh, those next, you know, four players, their bonuses are like 40000 more than Tyler Holt got. That's how big of the difference between his bonus and everyone else's is. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, right now, like third highest bonus goes to Robert Broom, who I've talked about a lot on this podcast. He's probably the Indians' best chance to become uh, a regular from this spot. This has been just abysmal. There's no other way around it. It has been a bad, bad round for them. They're getting negative value out of it and yeah i get it this is where you do a lot of senior signs but this is also a team that doesn't do a ton of senior signs you know when they took karen chalk in the ninth uh jesse uh berardi who they took in the 10th out of st john's was viewed as like a similar level prospect who also slipped that they gave full slot to uh samad taylor was someone i mean i was sad when they traded him out of the system i talked about uh jeff johnson in 2011, they gave 100K to. They've used this as a pick where they place value. They don't like to do senior signs. It happens from time to time. Like I said, it happened in 2019. It happened in 2015, 14, 2013, and 2012. But then they had that stretch in the middle where they stopped doing that. And we're still waiting on positive results overall from that round to see if they can, uh, like I said, Robert Broom. They're hanging a lot on him at this point in time to be the guy who finally makes this uh, this round not uh, just the worst thing for the Indians in their draft history. Again, a negative value for this round. The Indians over 50 years were better off not drafting anyone or just like drafting me, paying me a dollar every year and then using the rest of that pool money somewhere else. That's where they are with this round. Uh, and again, pool money only happened since like 2000 and, uh, 2011 draft, right? No, 2012 draft. 2011 was last year without. Since 2012, where you had to worry about pool money, they're you know they're better drafting somebody off the street, giving him a dollar, and spending the rest of that money on a higher uh, rated player earlier in the draft. It's it's been pretty bad. Saying that, with as terrible as it has been, uh, again, so if we're looking just at pure war. Dave Schuler, taken in 1975, who played in 18 games, has a .1 war. Only positive one. That's it. Uh, I mentioned Paulo Espino at a zero war. There was Ever Magalinas taken in 1987. Uh, three games, a zero war. Greg Washburn, who did not sign but pitched in eight games, was taken in 1965. Uh, at a Cole City High School in Illinois, negative 0.4 war. Talked about Fernando Cabrera, who they took in 99, negative Point five war Tyler Holt at negative one point two war is tied with uh, Dennis uh, Kinney taking nineteen seventy with a negative one point two war. 
So the question becomes, is the best player the one who has a positive war in just 18 games, or is the best player the guy who played in 156 games and has a negative 1.2 war, or 132 games and has a negative 0.5? I lean towards Fernando Cabrera because it's uh, he wasn't as bad in a very similar number of games. Like Tyler Holt's overall value is so low that it makes me lean towards Cabrera, but I feel like you could argue uh, it's Schuler at point one that in his 18 games, at least he did something that that did overall value. So it's it really is hard to find anyone that you want to hang your... I mean, part of me wants to just already say that it's going to be Groom. Now, I've been a big fan of Groom for a while, and I think that, again, that I, I have him higher rated than Sandlin, and I'm not alone in that. I can state that. We'll see if Broom... I think I was saying... <laughs> groom there for a second it's great when you say you're a real big fan of someone and then you say their name incorrectly but i guess that's kind of par for the course of the podcast but with broom not groom with broom i've been a big fan since his mercer days you know he's got a they're both side armors both him and sandlin but his stuff is just he's been really consistent and there's better control there and again i think he really is the one chance the indians have so who is the worst well you know there's so many choices for that one. <laughs> so here's the thing with the 10th round. There's a lot of guys who only played two years, but there's even more who played one. Uh, and that just immediately is where you have to go. There were two, Ronaldo Alcino, who was drafted by the 10th round in 2004 and the 30th round by the uh, Diamondbacks in 2005. Didn't sign either time. You hate to see a guy who had two chances and then never ended up getting to play pro ball. The other guy who... Did not sign. Uh, Brian Harrison was a pitcher. Went to Georgia Southern from Dalton High School. From what I could track down, he is now a pitcher there uh, again. Or not pitcher. He's a coach there, assistant coach at Dalton still involved. So let's talk about the one and dones. Mike Pad- Mike McPadden taken in 1998. Uh, one year at Burlington. Got into 16 games. Uh, walk rate over 10. William Jackson, the 10th round out of Cullen College in Dallas, Texas. Burlington again. He was taken in 96. Uh, 126, 224, 165 for a 389 OPS slash line and 116 appearances. This player played three years, but if I did not mention that they drafted Scott Schartz, that's right, Scott Schartz, uh, in 1991, I know people would comment. Uh, so there's your Scott Schartz. Uh, moment, Bill Leslie taking the 10th round of 1984. Only 25 plate appearances in the minors, and he might be the one I feel the worst for. 25 plate appearances, 12 strikeouts, 3 walks, no hits. So he never got a hit in his minor league career. That's that's a hard one. Uh, Kenneth Henderson taken in the 10th round of 78. Uh, slash line of 250, 315, 324 compared to the others. I mean, that's an all-star line. Uh, Leslie Hemby taken in 73 by the Indians, but did not sign. Played one year with the Giants, so we won't dive into his stats and the minors with the Giants. Then Michael Young uh, in 69. He pitched in 38 games, one start. Uh you know, the numbers compared to the other guys, again, not the worst we've ever seen. There's one more player to talk about, and that's Ross Kivett and kind of the whole effect with him not signing. We're getting close to the high watermark for the show, so I'm going to put this in very quickly. 
I think, you know, the worst one has to go to Bill Leslie. Like, that's our the worst pick, 1984, 10th round out of San Marino High School because of that whole no hits in his whole minor league career. Ross Kivett, though, is an interesting one, and one I was tempted to say because there was a deal in place. There always is when you draft someone, but he decided to go back to school. The unfortunate thing with that is all of a sudden that means the Indians lose the entire slot. Due to losing that slot, since 2000, they have failed to sign three 12-round picks. Uh, Jason Colson in 2000, Jordan Chamless in 2004, and Heath Quinn in 2013. I am pretty sure they had a deal in place to use Kivitz money to sign Quinn. The extra kick in the pants is that 2013 year was the year that they lost two draft picks due to Bourne and Swisher. So they already had a much smaller pool of draft picks. That was the fifth overall pick in the 10th round. So it's a relatively high pick. He was a local kid. Uh, He would get a, a senior sign deal the next year with the Tigers. But by him changing his mind, it cost them Heath Quinn. And not that Quinn is like torn it up in the minors, but he went to Samford. Is it not to knock? I mean, it's a, it's a solid study college program, but still a college program. Could have seen some developmental bonuses with the Indians. He's a strong guy who we're still kind of waiting to see what he can do. Uh, 787 over three levels um, in 2019 OPS. Uh, power potential, some good numbers in college. And he's not there more than likely. When you look at their reading between the lines, you can look and you can see that hey, they've signed every 12-round pick except for this one since the slotting era began. They had a player who they thought they had a deal in place with to be under slot, decided, nah, I'm going to go back to college. And then they don't get that money. So the the overall, the fact that they lost two players kind of makes that one up there. But since he didn't actually sign, I can't call it the worst pick. I can say the effects of it might have been the worst but uh, Bill Leslie gets the, I can't say that word, if you you probably know what I'm meaning, but Bill Leslie, worst pick in the 10th round, Ross Kivett, star for uh, biggest negative impact, and best pick, uh, I'm going to go with Broom. I know he hasn't hit the big leagues yet, but he will, and he will be the guy who uh, succeeds relative to this position, who'll get a positive war. I feel comfortable saying that. So I'm going to call my shot and call Broom the greatest 10th round pick in Cleveland Indians history. Thank you for listening. Running a bit long already. I'm Jeff Ellis. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff MLB Draft. Rate and review, download daily. And for the next year, maybe two, go Tribe.